Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Hello and welcome back inside the screening room, checking out all the new releases in movie theaters and on home video. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from MadWolf.com, and the Screening Room Podcast is presented by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners, where I'm not, I'm not sorry to tell you, George, I got very comfy watching traffic last night. I tell you, they're the big comfies. The big comfies. <laughs> Patent pending. Trademark pending. All right, we'll start with the latest from Amy Schumer, playing a woman struggling with insecurity. Waking up from a fall, believing she is the most beautiful and capable woman on the planet. It's called I Feel Pretty. I have a crazy idea. Let's be honest for a minute. No matter how many times we hear, it's what's on the inside that matters. Women know deep down, it's what's on the outside that the whole world judges. I've always wondered what it feels like to be just undeniably pretty. Are you okay? okay? You hit your head pretty hard. That's me. Oh my god, you see this? Yes. I'm beautiful! Ow! Things have really changed for me. You just have all the confidence in the world. I think a lot of people completely miss the thing that really makes them awesome. And you're not like that. Now, if you listen to this podcast, you probably know that we agree most of the time on movies. There's not a whole not many instances where we differ greatly, nope, but nope. when we saw this trailer right away, we had very different reactions to what the movie was going to be. Yeah, I I mean, I mean the first thing I thought of was Amy Schumer is pretty. Yeah, and and I thought well, I'm hopeful that it was going to take a kind of a vibe that some of her skits on her TV show did. I'm thinking especially of the one where they made fun of the boy band songs about you don't need no makeup. Remember that? Yeah. And I thought it was going to be making fun of that whole vibe. So I was holding out hope. I know. Um, and it turns out you were right. Yes. Well, I mean, my first issue with it was the idea that somebody, I mean, maybe by Hollywood standards, Amy Schumer is not particularly attractive, but by global standards, by Ohioan standards, she certainly is. So the idea that she would have to have basically a traumatic head head injury to be able to see herself thusly. But to be fair, a lot of her stand-up was kind of based on that idea. She was you know, she put herself down compared with other women a lot. And that doesn't have to have anything to do with this movie. But she's kind of built her persona up on that a little bit. But I see what you're saying. Why does she have to get a brain injury to think that she's good looking at all? Right. Well, so so if we just get down to the core story, part of the problem is that the Renee is her character's name. Her greatest wish in life is to be undeniably beautiful. Well, that's problematic in and of itself. I mean, if that is truly your one greatest wish, you are an incredibly superficial human being and probably a narcissist. Yeah, and, and there again, I think that could have been fertile ground for something that her TV show would have lampooned. Yes. And in a with a with a bite to it. But this movie doesn't do that. It does not. It does not. Because so so because this is all that she cares about is is physical beauty. She works for a cosmetics company and what she really wants to do is work in the main office, but what she actually does is work in IT 
you know, miles away in this cruddy little office. So when she gets the opportunity to interview for the receptionist position, she's just beside herself. But this is because she's already had the workout injury where she wakes up and she believes that she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Yeah, she has an accident on a spinning bike, right? Yes. And bangs her head. But we do give the film credit for not doing one thing. Yes, absolutely. So in other similar-ish movies, I'm thinking Shallow Hal, for example, the movie shows you what they see. So you have the contrast of the reality, the frumpy reality, and then the beauty that they really see. I don't think I could have tolerated that in this movie. This movie was such problematic <laughs> so enough for me. So at least do it doesn't show you what Amy Schumer sees as being so much more beautiful than Amy Schumer. It just shows you her. And she's very funny. We've talked about this before. She's incredibly I think talented. She's very funny. The, the thing is, for my money, she's one of the best comic writers working today. Yeah, if you look at, again, her TV show, mm-hmm. and if you look at Trainwreck, which Trainwreck. she wrote, right. we both liked so much. Not only was it very funny, but it played on some typical rom-com stereotypes at the same time it turned them around. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was insightful, and it was funny, and uh, and who knew that John Cena or LeBron James were so great? <laughs> That's right. None of us did. And so, you know, so I always go into these with a little bit of optimism because I figure Schumer can pull this off. But she didn't write this. Right. You know, and it was from the writer-director. This is their first time directing a film, but they wrote things like Never Been Kissed, How to Be Single. He's not that into you. And The Vow. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's Abby Abby Cohn and Mark Silverstein. Right. Yeah, not a great resume. No. So, And the problem, actually, with almost all of those films is the same problem that they're having here. They're trying to make a point. They're trying to say something salient, but they write themselves into a corner by being so superficial. So she wants all this woman needs is confidence. And that's what they're trying to say. You don't need to be beautiful. You just need to be confident. But she's confident enough to be objectified. That's really her <laughs> ultimate goal is to be objectified. Yeah, yeah. And and it's infuriating because, you know, it's like they can't even breathe it. But what she really would be just too much to ask in all the world is to be a model. Oh, just shoot me now. <laughs> we do have to say, though, that Schumer here as as an actress handles it pretty well. And she has nice chemistry with the rest of the co-stars. You've got Rory Scovel. She's great with Rory Scovel. Right. And then from Saturday Night Live, uh, A.D. Bryant, right. who was also uh, Busy Phillips. And so, yeah, and, and Rory, who plays uh, her, her possible boyfriend. Yeah, so there's definitely chemistry in the cast. She's engaging and likable as an actress, but just the material. Yeah. Oh, but we got to say, Michelle Williams is hilarious. Oh, Michelle Williams, yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, and it's funny to see her in a comedy because you're just so used to seeing her being in these devastating dramas in which and she's always, always magnificent. Always great. She steals every scene in this movie. <laughs> she steals every scene. She's awesome. She's the CEO of the cos- cosmetics company. Right. The granddaughter time- of Lauren Hutton, by the way, who shows up in yes. the movie. Yes, she does. Uh, and she has this little baby voice. And she just does all these <laughs> weird things with her hands. Yeah. She She's great. Yeah. So that yeah. So there's potential here in the cast, and and potential to do something a little more risky with this whole setup. And they just it's, don't. It's do very it. neutered. It's yeah. very neutered. But then even it's just when you get right down to it, the message sucks. And not only that, it's not that funny. No, it isn't. I mean, the, the, you get there are a few laughs, and unfortunately, and here's how you know lazy comedic writing. If the majority of your gags are a girl falling down and then getting back up quickly. You don't know how to write comedy. (laughs) And it's too bad because when you have somebody who can, like Amy Schumer, you would think that, boy, she could see the holes in this and maybe try to fix it. So hopefully this will lead her to get back and also be a writer 
as yes, please. Well, as well as the star in her next movie. So we'll see, and that's I Feel Pretty. We'll stay with comedy for the next one, one that was many, many years in the making. When a border dispute arises between the U.S. and Canada, the Super Troopers are tasked with establishing a highway patrol station in that disputed area. Super Troopers 2. They've been waiting for a second chance. Waiting for their country to need them again. That time is meow. What do you guys give me if I kill that bird? Farber, that's a bald eagle. Get away, baldy! Yeah! Guys, what do I win? A one-way ticket to hell. It turns out the French-Canadian town saint georges du laurent is actually on American soil. You'll be phasing out a Canadian Mountie unit. Well, as I said in my written review, if you've been holding your breath for this one, you're long dead. Because <laughs> it's been 17, can you believe that? 17 <laughs> years since Super Troopers. And this one, it's very simple. If you like the first one, you're going to like this one. Do you know what I like? I like any movie that pokes good-hearted fun at Vermont. That's right. <laughs> That's right, because your twin sister and her family live in Vermont. They do. We go to visit a lot. And you're right. It is. It's set in Vermont, the, the, the VIPs, the Vermont Highway Patrol. But the, the lovable gang from the first one, uh, they've been sidelined after a mysterious Fred Savage ride-along <laughs> incident. So they're not working when the movie starts. But there is this... Weird border reassessment problem, which I understand is based on something that actually happened. I, I don't know, but that's what I what I hear. Anyway, up on the border there, they've had to reassess, and they've now found that a small French-Canadian town with this new border is going to have to begrudgingly become an American town. <laughs> and that town has a mayor-slash-bordello owner, played by Rob Lowe. Who's actually very funny. I mean, He's a funny he, yeah. guy. He is really good in comedies. Yeah, and it's a funny character. So Captain O'Hagan, played by Brian Cox, who never did lose his job, he gets the old... Of course old, he didn't. He's Brian Cox. He gets the old gang back together, puts them back to work as uh, patrolmen to help ease the... Trans- Vips. Yeah, Vips, to help ease the transition from uh, this town going uh, under Mountie control to the Vips. So, And that's where the whole conflict comedy comes in because you've got these Mounties and you've got these French Canadian residents who don't like Americans and you've, they're going to go at each other and you've it's all very low hanging comedy just like the first <laughs> one you know it's all about getting stoned and body parts and really bad and how puns you pronounce the word sorry and how you pronounce the word sorry on both <laughs> on both you know both parties fighting about which which one is is which so yeah it's stupid it's stupid comedy. But again, you can understand why they're trying to please this audience because that's the reason they're here in the first place. Right. So, I mean, they're only making this movie. It's the Broken Lizard Gang. Mm-hmm. And they all do... They Club all, Dread. Yeah. They, they're the stars. They're the writers. And one of them is the director as well. They're only here doing this because of the cult following this movie has gotten over the past decade and a half or so, 17 years. And they got a lot of money from a crowdfunding project to get this movie made. So, yeah, they're going to feed that beast. Sure. And it's totally understandable. So if this is your kind of humor, it's not really mine. I did have get some laughs out of it. I mean, they're totally, totally committed to this. Were you high, George? Because that, <laughs> that I think really helps is well, a guess that I'm having. We are taping this on 420. <laughs> that we means, are. And that means anything. But um, they're totally committed to this 
very familiar, very low bar of comedy. They're all in, and they definitely give the audience a couple of uh, inspired and cameo-filled callbacks mm-hmm. to things that happened in the first movie. So if you're all in for it, they, you're going to be rewarded on Super Troopers 2. It's not particularly my brand of comedy, so I, I kind of rated it a little bit lower just because I didn't laugh as much. But uh, a lot of people were, and if it's your thing, Super Troopers 1, you're going to love Super Troopers 2. You know, according to my sister's T-shirt, you know what the slogan of Vermont is, George? What is that? Stay weird. <laughs> Stay high. <laughs> All right, we'll go away from the comedies for a couple of thrillers. Uh, another wide release this week. A couple off on a romantic weekend in the mountains are accosted by a biker gang. It is called Traffic. That is a hot ride. Built it myself. Where'd you learn that? The prison auto shop? Sweet ride. Smoking peace in the store. Are you a ball player? Not looking for any trouble. Trouble? Can't hold a polite conversation. <laughs> Got a big problem. Can't find the phone. People I work for do not accept mistakes. It's crazy. Hey, baby, your phone is ringing. That's not my phone. Something in my gut was telling me that she needed help. I think I put my phone in your bag by accident. Let me help you. Just give me the phone. Just give me the phone, okay? We will kill you. I feel as if there is this resurgence in a lot of the same types of films that the 70s exploitation films, which I love. Yeah. Uh, it's, really, uh, it's really a niche for me. It's one of my favorite, just these over-the-top, low-budget, action-y exploitation thrillers that came out in the 70s. Well, we just talked last week about that's what we hoped Proud Mary was right. going to be, and exactly. it wasn't. It was not. So I'm with you. I'm totally yeah. with you. This movie, while it's it's got, you know, it's got one foot very definitely in the sort of that Liam Neeson tradition, right? The low to mid-budget action thriller that's not going to probably say anything new, but it's going to get gritty and you're going to, you know. and then, But on the other hand, it's got so much in common with a lot of the exploitation films that I love from the 70s. Like the biker gang. Yes. And, you know, and I mean, and there's so much happening. Um, it doesn't have uh, the same kind of gritty look. It's got the very slick, polished look of like a Taken. And it doesn't have the great soundtrack, which I really miss the most. That's but, important. Yeah, that can really add. But it's got enough elements that I think it, it you know, it's, it's paying a little bit of tribute to it. And this one stars Paula Patton. Therein lies the problem. Yeah, that's uh, that's a problem. She uh, she doesn't have a lot of acting talent. I'm she sure, cannot act. I'm sure she's a wonderful human yep. being. But uh, there hasn't been too many times. There, I guess there's been a couple of times when she wasn't outright awful. She had a, a supporting role in Two Guns with right. Denzel and Mark Wahlberg a few years ago. Uh, but yeah, especially for trying to carry a movie, just yeah, no. that's the thing. I mean, she's the lead. She's the lead. She's in just about every scene. And um, I mean, so I want to give the film credit because it turns a lot of stereotypes around and makes some comments about about modern problems. Mm-hmm. In, in that uh, the couple that are being besieged by this motorcycle gang, it's actually quite a bit more than that. It, it's a it's an African American couple, mm-hmm. and some of the comments that they make, and some of the way that the law enforcement plays into it. Yeah. They make some interesting points about modern society. On the other hand, they don't make them very strongly. So I don't know if they were trying to tiptoe around that, but I felt like it could have been more forceful. But that's, it wasn't really a, a weakness of the film necessarily. One of the things I did appreciate about the movie is that the Paula Patton, who is the female lead, which is nice to see, right? And also the other uh, sort of substantial female parts, they all get the opportunity to to make interesting choices 
to physically affect the film. And Paul Patton gets the opportunity to really sort of beat some people up in a way that didn't seem, you know, like sort of Charlie Theron in, you know what I mean? Not just a way, not a trained professional, but just mm-hmm. a human being. You wouldn't just stand there and let your boyfriend get beat up. You would you would get in the in the tuffle. So that's good. And the story is is fairly simple and it's definitely somewhat predictable. It is unfortunately about sex trafficking. I say it's unfortunate because they don't really explore it in any kind of an interesting way. And we have two films today that are about that. And the one certainly makes the other look bad. It just doesn't mine anything very deeply. But honestly, the number one problem and the number two problem both have to do with Patton. She doesn't have the emotional range to carry this film. And I understand she's the lead in an action movie. So it's not like you're going to say Schwarzenegger has an emotional range. It's stronger than hers. And then number two, to perhaps make up for that, or I don't know, maybe just out of preoccupation, I'm not sure, writer-director Deion Taylor's camera ogles Patton's body the whole film to a degree that's really quite uncomfortable. I've never seen one movie more preoccupied with nipples in my life. And one of the reasons, and it would be problematic no matter what, but because the focus of the film is sex trafficking, it's, you know, I don't know if he's even trying to make a point. Like, look at you, you're all objectifying our lead, and this is what it leads to. But if that's what he's doing, he's the one who's objectifying the lead. It doesn't feel manipulative. It doesn't feel like he's leading us to some conclusion. It simply feels like this camera never gets off Paula Patton's breasts. So traffic has... Maybe more to offer than we thought, but ends up really the, the, the lead actress and not exploring deeply enough his subject matter kind of comes up short. It does, yeah. Well, the other movie that we were alluding to that kind of follows the same subject matter opens in wider release this week. It's the story of a traumatized veteran, unafraid of violence, who tracks down missing girls for a living. You were never really here. State Senator Albert Vato, his teenage daughter's missing. What's the lead? You got an anonymous text with an address. I've heard of these places. They said you were brutal. I can be. I want you to hurt them. My name's Joe. It's okay, come here. Close your eyes. Where are you going? Taking your dad. Up the phone. What is going on? The cops are involved. Where is she? It's okay, Joe. It's okay. Well, Lynn Ramsey impressed the hell out of me a few years ago with a movie that is woefully underseen and contains the single best performance I've ever seen in a film, and that's We Need to Talk About Kevin. Oh, man, that was such a a, a devastating but yet necessary movie. And And brilliant. Brilliant movie. Well, Lynn Ramsey, the writer-director, she pretty much does does very similar things here. She takes a book, and in this case it's a novella, a very short Mm -hmm. uh, book that might not be the most easily adaptable matter, and she adapts it into an incredible movie featuring an incredible performance. This time it's Joaquin Phoenix. He plays Joe, a combat veteran who's wounded both physically and mentally, and he is now living with his mother in New York State, and he whets his appetite for violence by being a secret vigilante for hire, and he specializes in finding kidnapped girls, usually taken for the sex traffic industry and not only rescuing them, but making their kidnappers pay dearly mm-hmm. with brutal violence. And it's such a well put together movie. It's, it's strange. It's, 
very meticulous in its impressionism, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's it's the way that Lynn Ramsey puts the movie together and utilizes, much like she did with uh, Tilda Swinton, and we need to talk about Kevin, utilizes this one fantastic lead performance mm-hmm. and builds around that. And it's, it's a movie that only tells you so much. Uh, you get little glimpses uh, in different stylized scenes. Sometimes she'll she'll use very pulsating, you know, hard-driving music. Other times, weird background off an oldies radio playing right, right, right. a strangely anachronistic type of type of song, and it's it's just mesmerizing. The entire thing is barely an hour and a half long, but it's the kind of movie that each frame you, you feel like. Each single frame has meaning. Mm-hmm. Nothing is wasted. Right. Everything is for a purpose. And there's some some brutally violent scenes and very shockingly bloody scenes. And other times, you don't see exactly all the violence. You just kind of get the impression of what's happening off screen. Right. But each time, it's so, so effective. And uh, she does a lot of visual storytelling and always seems to be filling the screen with contrast. You know, the contrast between being powerful and being weak being celebrated, being uh, subjugated, you know, having brutality, having a brutal nature, and having compassion. There's just so much going on with this movie. At at the same time, it's kind of taking its own sweet time. There's just so many different contrasts in the movie, but they all work so well. And it all all comes back and all starts with Joaquin Phoenix's performance. I read that uh, to get him ready for the movie, Lynn Ramsey told him that inside the character's head to envision fireworks going off at the same time there's gunfire you know there's just so many so many things inside his head and he he projects that so well he's beefed up a little bit mm-hmm. for this movie a little mm-hmm. beefy you know and uh, the way he carries himself is is more brooding and he gives you just enough of this character's psyche that that you want more but you're never quite given enough and it's everything about the movie just makes you it's not a feel good garden party for sure as we need to talk about oh, Kevin no. was not that's one of the most devastating movies i've ever yes, seen yes agreed but at the same time it's such a rewarding experience if you if you know what you're in for going in you know it's 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 bloody it's brutal but at the same time there's some weirdly funny and and compassionate scenes as well and it's one that i really really would recommend not only for the performance but for the technical skill of filmmaking that that Lynn Ramsey is showing once again she doesn't seem to work a lot no but boy and uh, definitely on, on my list anything she does I'm going to be right there and absolutely big recommendation for you were never really here this week so we had a couple comedies then we got real serious let's go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby we brought up Liam Neeson a little bit ago. He's uh, back out on home video this week. His latest where he has a particular set of skills. It's The Commuter. Feels like we've seen this movie before. We have. <laughs> With we the have. same director. Exactly. Exactly. Nonstop. A few years ago, Neeson collaborated with director Jaume Calacera to make Nonstop, which is this same movie except in an airplane. <laughs> Pretty much. He's just, he's of course, Liam plays a a perfect family man. He's got a great family life. uh, And he takes the same train, commuter train, and he's uh, chatted up by the mysterious Vera Farmiga. Right. Who has an offer. Turns out he needs money right now, the time of his life. So I guess his home life isn't that perfect. He needs some money. He's just been canned. Right. um, From his job. So the job life isn't working out, but he needs money. She gives him an opportunity to. Make some easy money, but he's got to do something for her. And pretty soon, 
He has got to find one person on this train with a bag that Vera and her team of baddies want. Yeah, and of course it turns out to not really be exactly that because he's, you know, is he really going to do it or is he going to figure out who it is so he can protect that person and are there other people on the train who are also supposed to kill this person? And, right. you know, and, and it's very, you know, it's confined. It's a confined space because it's on a train and he has to not only unravel the mystery, but he has to do things like hang underneath the train without falling off. He has to jump from train to train. It's all very Liam Neeson movie. And and it's just very, very tiresome by now. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's so... If you didn't know that it was the same director that did Nonstop, and you'd happen to have seen Nonstop, you would just be, well, wait, I, I, saw, I saw this. It was on a plane. And then, yeah, the fact that it's the same director is almost, you know, are they trying to trick us? Exactly. But, uh, yeah, it's got the same stuff. Some of it is, is effective, I guess, as an action movie. But you're right. By now, it's, I mean... You think Liam Neeson himself would be tired of this by now? Oh uh, yeah, because ever kidding. since Taken and he became, you know, this late-in career action star, they've just been exploiting this, scratching this itch, and this time it's like, okay, enough. It's got a couple of effective sequences, but uh, that's about it. Right, we've seen it. Also out this week, Oscar-nominated. The Post, Steven Spielberg's latest, and uh, it's headlined by a pretty good cast. It's Tom Hanks, and it's Meryl Streep. Who's that? <laughs> pretty good there. And plus, you know, the supporting cast is just top full, to bottom, full of talent. Yeah. It's a really good movie. I, I probably wouldn't have had it nominated for Best Picture uh, last year, but certainly among the top 25 or so uh, best movies of the year. It centers on the whole issue around the Pentagon Papers in 1971. Now, this one, even though the first Pentagon Papers were... Um, published by the New York Times, this centers on the Washington Post and their reaction to that. They're trying to get some of that same material themselves. And when they do, the pressure that they got not to publish it, Tom Hanks play, plays the editor, Ben Bradley, mm -hmm. and then Meryl Streep as Kay Graham, who was in charge of the paper then because of the death of her husband. But at the time, she was treated by most of the other people on the paper as just a figurehead woman. We don't need her making choices. Right. And this movie is about that as much as the issue, about her taking control. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of times that's where the strength of the movie is because it's just the gender politics of the time. And, of course, uh, you know, part of that, of, of course, is also because perhaps the greatest actor who has ever walked is the person who's carrying that load, right? Meryl mm -hmm. Streep can bring anything into this brilliant, beautiful fruition. And then the other part of the film is carried by Tom Hanks, who, again, brilliant. And it's Spielberg put it together, and it looks like a Spielberg movie. It looks gorgeous. Everything is perfect. To me, it's a little, maybe a little too polished. It, it's not as edgy, I thought, or maybe compelling is something like spotlight mm -hmm. but that, it's a pretty that's a pretty minor i will say i did like the, the it's a to me it's a very unspielberg like pace it's a very rushed pace very which quick fits, very quick it fits the movie yes. you know deadlines urgency. and pressure absolutely urgency. and also it, it can't go without saying that right now that the subject of the press and the pressure the press is under and trying to delegitimize the press right. is an incredibly timely absolutely, issue right absolutely. now so it also works on that level but it is a very very solid movie definitely recommend the post out on video this week. And looking ahead next week where there's one biggie, you might have heard of it, Avengers Infinity War. What? We're going to find out how they actually make time for all these different <laughs> superheroes. Will it be seven hours long or will they each only get three lines? It's hard to know. But you clued me into the fact that I guess some are going to uh, die That's in this what, one. Yeah. So we That's will the rumor. find out and talk about that next week. But uh, let us know what you thought about the movies this week. You can always chime in. We love to hear from you. Easiest way to do that on social media is on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And I do want to 
let you know again that we're going to be doing this podcast live if you're in the central Ohio area. It's the Columbus Podcast Festival, second annual, and we've been invited to do the screening room live before a live audience. We are excited to do that. It's going to be May 11th, Friday, May 11th. Our slot is the last one of the evening, about 8.30, mm-hmm. uh, that we'll be going on. and really looking forward to that. It should be fun. It's going to be at the uh, Short North Stage, North High Street, 1187 North High Street in Columbus. And they have a Facebook page uh, that you can check out. And, of course, all the info you can find out on our social media as well. On Facebook, we're Mad Wolf Columbus. Same for Instagram and the uh, main website where you can get our written reviews and other fun stuff is madwolf.com. So, two Ds. Two Ds. A lot coming up. Love to hear from you. Until next week when we talk about Avengers and more, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.